My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastor's leaders here at Redeemer's Church. Happy to have you here with us this morning. If you're new and if you're joining us online, welcome. We are going to pray and get into the scriptures here this morning. Just this morning, God, ask for your guidance, because that's what we're talking about. You're leading, you're prompting corporately and how you might move amongst our church, amongst the individuals here, but leading us towards your desires for what you want us to accomplish. So thank you for this time, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, 18, 19 years ago, believe it or not, I was a wandering teenager, like most of them. I'd gone to a year of Bible college and despised it. I'd never had more rules in my entire life than when I went to Bible college. I had a thing called a curfew, which I never experienced growing up. Uh, My parents gave me enough rope to hang myself. I did not, thankfully, so that rope was pretty long. And after Bible college, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I kind of thought that after one year of Bible school, you'd kind of have this vision from God like Paul or maybe Martin Luther out in the field and the lightning storm happens and you're going to go ahead and be called into and dedicate your life to something grand and great. Uh, So I did what any kid growing up in kind of a smaller town in Southern Oregon did. I moved to the big whopping city of, I called it Portland, but it's actually Gresham. (laughs) Don't. Don't you dare call Gresham Portland to Portlanders. <laughs> That's, I learned that quickly. And what basically had happened was I was actually planning to just move to Seattle where it had a, a place I could stay for a little bit. And I was driving my truck uh, up on a journey to Seattle. And I stopped off with some friends who were going to Mount Hood Community College. And I walked into a Starbucks after my first night staying with them. And I enjoyed being around them. And I asked if they were hiring. And they hired me on the spot. And I took a job at that Starbucks and moved to Gresham uh, rather than Seattle like I had planned. And there I was invited um, to a church plant. So a little church at that time uh, called Solid Rock. It's known as a Jesus Church now and it expanded into multiple churches. And this group invited me in to begin to spend time with them, and they were planting out of a church called Cedar Mills Bible Church, and we met there on Sunday nights. And I would make the trek from Gresham to West Portland-ish area to Cedar Mills Bible Church and spend time um, helping this church get established and plant. They didn't need my help, by the way. They knew what they were doing. One night... I was at dinner with uh, one of the pastors, and there was a group of about 30 of us at a Red Robin. That's like, if you've ever served tables before, just a disaster when you see 30 college kids walk in, and one adult, who doesn't even look like an adult. (laughs) God, it's going to be a bad night. Well, anyways, we're sitting there, and I received a phone call um, while I was at that dinner with this pastor and all these other college-age students, and I took the phone call, and I walked out, and it was my older brother. My brother said, hey, man, I'm going to plant a church in Bend. He was a whopping 25 years old. (laughs) And he says, do you want to come with me? I'm like, let me look at my schedule. I've got nothing going on. (laughs) Gresham's a horrible place to live, amen? (laughs) That's why you live here. (laughs) Amen. And... So I get off the phone with my brother. I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm going to do the God thing. I'm like, yeah, man, that sounds great. But, you know, I kind of got some stuff going on. Let me see if God wants me to do this. 
And so I sat down, and this guy, his name's John Mark. We've actually got several of his books back there that you guys can, uh, don't take those home. They're for you to look at and go, yeah, these are awesome. I'm going to order them, along with Keller and some other incredible authors. Anyways, and, and John Mark says, well, what was that about? And I said, oh, just, you know, my brother wants me to plant a church with him. It's like, okay, well, um, we were going to ask you tonight to become our next youth pastor. Really? What's it pay? Nothing. This is a great deal. My brother just called me to work for him for free. This growing church just asked me to work for them for free. Which free job am I going to take? (laughs) Serious, serious dilemmas. Um, So I go home to my little little one-bedroom apartment in what we call the G-Shock Villa, and I, I see God, and I pray, and God is silent, and it's quiet. My good friend Brian, uh, Brian Conagher, one of my best friends, um, I call him up, and, and he comes up and visits me, and I share the scenario, and he's like, what do, you, what do you want to do, Brett? Because it's not really a bad decision. Neither of these things are going to lead you to, quote-unquote, glory or make big bucks. But where do you want to live? Who do you want to surround yourself with? And so that gave me just this premise and this freedom that I want to talk about here this morning. Because this morning, we're going to talk about guidance. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, at some point in your life, I can almost guarantee you've had some kind of faith or hope in the divine that is going to work things out or direct you in your life. Or I tell my wife this all the time because we watch stupid drama on television. There's always just like some idiot who is not God-fearing that says, I just believe everything is going to work out the way it should. And I'm always like, why do they say that? They don't believe there's some kind of God directing their future or their life, yet they have this deep-rooted theology and the sovereignty of a divine leading them. Regardless, people... Christian, non-Christian, religious, irreligious, ask themselves this question often. What does God have for my life? What's God's will? And this morning, as we're working our way through the disciplines from Richard Foster's book, we land on guidance, a little out of order. And we've only actually got two more left. I'm going to slip two more in on faith and on Sabbath coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about this idea of not just guidance, but corporate guidance. And it's a corporate discipline. And when we talk about disciplines, I don't know if we still have that slide or not, but we kind of looked at how there's, yes, there's the inward disciplines, prayer, fasting, study, meditation. And we spent a ton of time just laboring on these points and things that we do privately in our lives. Yes, obviously you can corporately do some of those together, but they're inward, moving outward to submission and service as well as solitude and simplicity, the things we go and do. But then we come to this set of disciplines, and they're really hard for us because in the Western culture, we're so individualistic, and that tends to be the theology of our lives, that when I say we're going to do anything corporately, somebody's always like, ah, not me. I'm not, confession? Oh, heck no. (laughs) I mean, I'm only going to show you what I want you to see. Worship, maybe I can kind of lean into that as long as nobody's looking and all eyes are closed or if I'm just not that noticed. And then we have to get into all kinds of ideas of what worship is. Michael's going to do that here pretty soon. Celebration, can't wait for that, Carson. Guidance, corporate guidance. 
What is that? And I hope to unpack that somehow in 15 minutes. Just set your watch for an extra 10 this morning, okay? We're going to discuss guidance. Have you ever wondered that? What does the scriptures talk about with guidance? We are a culture that is obsessed with personal guidance. We're obsessed with individual guidance. And the scriptures are actually going to have to cause us to go up 10,000 feet and look at this from a larger view of what God talks about when he talks about guidance. Because if you come to me, which many of you have, over, I don't know, that's 20 when I got into the ministry, I'm almost 39, so so 19-ish years of ministry. This is the most commonly asked question that I get asked. What is God's will for my life? And then they like, Um, okay, (laughs) a couple steps back, and we have to unravel some ideas and some thoughts if we're going to discuss what God's will is for your life. And the reality is, and what I can look at you in the eye and actually tell you is, I know and I don't know. I know and I don't know. What I do know is that the scriptures have this great news that I get to share with you that the Bible is telling us this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. But if you're going, what's God's will that I eat for lunch today? I I don't know. What's God's will? Should I marry this person? Well, there's some things we can actually talk about and look at in the scriptures, but you're not going to open the New Testament and say, Thus saith the Lord, Zach, Mary, Kelsey. It's just not going to be there. You're not going to see that. In fact, that would have been prearranged when you were little toddlers, right, in the Bible's days. Your job, you were already being trained and raised up in it from a young age. You didn't live in a mobile society, so it wasn't like, hey, where are we going to move? It's been two years. Right, Jess? (laughs) Where are we going to go next? It's not going to answer those questions in the direct format that we want. But if we come up for air, I mean, look at this from this 10,000-foot level. It's going to tell us a lot. So where we're going to go is in 1 Peter 2, 15 through 17. Peter is writing to the elect exiles. You think, you think America was bad during COVID with restrictions? Try living in Rome <laughs> and the things that they could do to you if you did not comply. These people are elect exiles living in a hostile world towards Christianity. And Peter is going to give them a description and really this command of what the will of God is for their lives and how they're to function, operate, and live. And it begins in chapter 2, verse 15. And it says this, For this is the will of God. Highlight, underline. If you come into that back office in the next year, Brett, what's God's will for my life? I'm just going to turn you to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the will of God for your life. You ready? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You get to live as free servants. It's pretty awesome. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And then it goes on to give some more context to what's saying. Now, that's Peter's concept of these instructions. And if you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
turn back a few letters. This church in Thessaloniki, they were actually really concerned and worried that the resurrection of the saints has already taken place, that somehow they missed it. And there's also a group of people that are like, hey, it's going to happen any minute now, so let's quit our jobs, let's buy a motorhome, and let's just travel and hang out together, and we'll see what happens. And Paul writes this extensive letter on, just a reminder, if you don't work, you don't eat, guys. And we want to encourage you in these things. And yet he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, this is a doozy, but hang with me. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks on all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every evil. Redeemers, what is the will of God for you this morning? Take Peter's and Paul's list. Do good. Live as free servants to God. Honor others. Love others. Fear God. Even honor those in authority over you. Paul echoes that sentiment. Respect those that labor among you, that are over you in the Lord. Be at peace amongst yourselves. I'm going to say that one again. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Admonish the idle, so those that are just sitting around doing nothing. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them. Seek to do good one to another. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Giving thanks always. In all circumstances, don't quench the spirit. Abstain from evil. Church, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for me. See, a lot of times when we think about God's will, we want this direct path and plan this laid-out blueprint in which I have to step in the very footsteps in order to accomplish and not be outside of God's will. But what we see here in the scriptures is God is very much concerned with who you are. And it's not that he doesn't care what you do. He cares very much. Because if you're going to leave here and think, I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to start dealing cocaine on the side, that's immoral and devastating and destructive. And God would say, that's not my will for you. But you also, when you consider this concept of what is God's will for me, am I in it? Is there something more or something else? You get to come back to these lists and you get to ask yourself, am I loving others? Is what I do for a living allowing me to love others, to serve others, to care for others? Is where I live giving me the opportunity to participate in community that enriches each other's lives, to serve one another, Because these are the big questions that people constantly have. And whether you're 12 or 80, I've had these conversations with people on both ends of that spectrum. And they think there's got to be something more specific. And so when we get up to this 10,000-foot level, we can begin to see how God is concerned with who we are. And we can equip ourselves with a biblical framework in which we work through and determining, and what I'm doing is what I'm doing, pardon me, so what I'm doing, allowing me to serve God to the fullest. Now, what tends to happen in a person's life 
is they get very honed in on this idea that here's the specific will of God for me in my life. And if I don't find it directly, I'm just paralyzed and I do nothing. Kevin DeYoung wrote a good book called Do Something. It's written to millennials and younger, to a generation that has so many options, so many different paths they can go down that they don't pick anything because it's like, that one might be better. I should just trade in crypto or I should become an influencer. Those are my two career paths, dad. (laughs) I'm going to look at my kids (laughs) and be like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, right. We'll have a long chat about those two things. What I want to suggest to you this morning is when we come to these questions of what's God's will for my life, the way the Bible pairs it is it gives us this high view of this is the kind of person I want you to be and function and operate and live and lean into. But here's a framework. When you ask, Brett, is this God's will? The first thing I want to ask you is, is it wise? Is it wise? Is this marriage you're about to jump into wise? Is this move wise? Not just does it make you more money or promote you, but is it wise for your family? Is it wise for your community? Is it wise for how you can function in a church? Is it wise to participate in this way? Is this job wise? Is it going to exhaust and overwhelm you? Are you biting off more than you can actually swallow? Is this purchase a wise purchase for your life? The wisdom principle is crucial. If we can look at scripture and say, this is not against scripture, this is not against something that God would have me do, but then it comes down to this question of, is this wise? And what we see is God's will influences specific things in our life. It does. God's will. For example, in I think it's first, nope, it's second Corinthians. We're told to not be unequally yoked with one another. And so if you come up to me and be like, dude, but she's hot, <laughs> but she does not love Jesus, I'd go, well, we need to spend some time talking about Jesus with her or with him. And we need to see if they will be a follower of Jesus because the problem is, is if you're going in the direction of Jesus and they're going in the direction of the world, your lives are going to come to a why at some point and you're going to further go apart one from another. I've seen it enough. I've seen it happen. And so this is not going to end well. Let's take a step back and let's see if this is wise and lines up with Scripture. Should I get involved with a specific ministry, Brett? Well, there's things you have to do as an adult. Us millennials have termed this adulting, and none of us like it. Now, as an adult, you need to make money. You need to work. You do. If you have a family, you need to invest in them and spend time with them. That's a ministry that you need to have. You need time to rest, to recharge, to take a break. That's really important. And just because there's some fabulous ministry opportunity might be right thing, wrong time. Or it might be this lines up or God is actually calling me to sacrifice something over, well, in this direction of free time or life in order to pour into this. And I've been given the opportunity, the availability, the funds, whatever it is, to free up the time and the space to pour into this thing. Is it wise? Is it wise? And so when it comes to divine guidance, we're to ask God. In James 1, it says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to you. 
In Psalm 25, we're called into the same kind of walk with God that we're to come and we're to ask of him. Our hearts in right relationship, pursuing him. And so, if you're struggling this morning with guidance, just a few things and I'll, I'll get us out of here. One, ask God. Write it down this morning. God, should I do this? Should I do that? Number two, when God speaks, be obedient. Listen to Psalm 103. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom's rule over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Has God specifically asked you to do something? Did you know he does do that? Yes, there is this general will of God. Is it moral? Is it permissible? Is it allowable? That we can actually look at and say, yeah, my life, I can walk in that. I can choose to stay in Gresham of all places, or I can come down to Central Oregon. That one was tough, God. Yeah. And, and so there's this general call. But when God lays something directly on your heart, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and gives you a direct command that I want you to do this, participate in this, you better be obedient in that. That happens in our lives. And there are times when God will say, I want you to give like this or be generous with your time like that. And the first thing we want to do is go, well, hope you call those other Christians to do that as well, God. Because I'm going to be watching them. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, will you be obedient? So I'm calling you. How do, how do I know if he's calling? You'll feel that on your heart. Every time I preach, it's going to be like this drum that just Beats. Every time Michael or Carson speak, and you just keep hearing the Spirit saying, go, do, I'm calling you. It's probably the Holy Spirit telling you that. It's probably the Holy Spirit. It's God moving on your heart, then be obedient. And finally, you ask yourself that final question. If God's calling you to go do something that is sinful, I don't think he's doing that. <laughs> you see, is it sinful? Does it cause injustice? Does it cause pain? Does it cause suffering to somebody else? Now, what he calls you into, like Paul, where he specifically said, Paul's going to suffer a lot of things for my will. That's, that's one thing. But if it's you're going to cause suffering for other people, that's not going to be a good path to walk down. So how do we tie this into this idea of corporate guidance? Because we believe God leads, God guides, God speaks to our heart, and our culture is obsessed with hearing God's will. Here's what I would pose to you. Have you invited other people into your decision-making. When I was talking to Michael about this, he talks about the round table that you have personally of decision-makers. And it's not that you sit at the head of that table and you get to weigh and judge what they say, but it's a round table because there is discussion that is robust as you make decisions in your life. Foster really wants to push us on this in two ways. And I think they're both correct. One way is this. God corporately guides through what we do here on Sunday mornings. How does that work? Well, when my brother was getting ready to plant a church in Bend, he was at a church down in Southern Oregon, and he was teaching through the book of Joshua, 
And not only was he teaching through the book of Joshua, but I can't remember where they were in the scriptures, but he was hearing the same thing from what he was studying and teaching. It was this idea of, go, go, I've prepared this for you. Take it. I want you to do something. And it was through personal stirring on his heart, as well as through alignment with scripture, then asking this question of, is this a good thing? Does God want to do this thing? That he was able to come to this conclusion and then inviting others in. We had time as a family where we came and prayed and talked to other believers, asking them, would you pray for us on these decisions to go and plant a church? It was inviting others in. We were so private with our decision-making. And I can tell you, and I share this all the time, there's a, there's a man in here, Perry, who's been a mentor of mine for 18, 19 years, and I don't think there's been a big decision I've made from marriage to church planting to going back to school to uh, the other things that I'm participating in on the side that he has not been involved in. Correct me if I'm wrong, Perry. I just, I just don't think so. And I take it serious. And it's not that he is God and has the final and last word in my life or the other people that I've invited in that situation, but in the corporate assembly of other people getting wisdom from them who are followers of Jesus, we can make good decisions. See, that's how this works. You want guidance? Invite people in. I'm going to give one last rant, and then I'm going to close this out. This is why I believe in the local church. Listen, this morning you could have stayed home. You couldn't have drank better coffee because Sergio's coffee is bomb. (laughs) All right? Amen. We're getting lattes again soon, right, bud? (laughs) You could have stayed home. You didn't even need to brush your teeth. And you could have listened to Matt Chandler, Craig Rochelle, Timothy Keller, the Bible Project nerds. And they're way better speakers than me. They are. I totally know my limitations. I get that. You could have then easily just shut it off and thought about that for the day. What happens, though, when we gather as the local church is God is corporately guiding this church together. Yes. And he has specific word for you in this space, in this place, in this town. I truly believe we prayed about some of that at pre-gathering prayer this morning that God wants to do, and he wants to lead corporately in that way. This is ways that God functions in our lives. That as we're teaching the word, all of a sudden something just explodes in our heart, explodes in our mind, and aligns with our desires, and we get behind that, and we go, I want to support that mission. That's really tough to do on your couch when your favorite pastor lives in Dallas. And they're like, we're going to be for the city of Dallas, and you're like, yay. Go Cowboys. That's how I can support them because they need all the support they can get. (laughs) Too soon for football jokes? No, not too soon. You see, God wants to move in here and that's what makes the local assembly, the ecclesia, so unique is that this word is specific to this time, this place, this movement, this moment, right here today. Y'all need to hear this. I need to hear this. Corporately being guided by God. Israel went down this path. Sometimes it went really poorly for them. They corporately chose to sin against God. And they made really bad decisions. In the early church, Paul and Barnabas were praying with a group that had come together and they decided to lay hands on them and send them out as the spirit was pushing. Uh, Three and a half years ago, we led this, I don't even know if I'd call it a building campaign. (laughs) 
but I, hey, we can maybe buy a building. We got five weeks to raise 60 grand and we already have 20 of it. You guys in or out? And you know what? People had questions, they had concerns, but yet our leadership felt like God is setting us down this path and we're corporately leading. I'm throwing all this stuff in there, hoping that it hits some places. Do you think there's people in here who are wrestling with decisions and you're isolated to just your little world? And God wants to expand that. He wants you to come to pre-gathering prayer so that the Spirit might speak from other people to yourself, from you to other people. He wants to lead you corporately in what we're doing with the church. Yes, I understand that over time, over the history of time, this has been misused and abused by leaders. Leaders, when they're corporately giving direction or corporately giving a mission, have been at times manipulative, not truthful. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater on this one. God wants to lead. God wants to prepare us. God wants to move us. So, obviously, I've strayed very far from all of this. The question I have for you is, what's God's will for your life? Go spend some time in those passages. And if you're trying to make a local decision, one about where to live, what to do for a living, who to marry, who not to marry, who to date, not to, if you're trying to make those decisions, invite some people into your life that can speak into your life, that know you. Don't isolate, but allow others in. Listen to God, listen to others, listen to wisdom. Let's pray. Oh, Father. May there be what I'd call a staying power in this word this morning. And it's that you are not far from us, but are leading us. And that you've laid out your will for our lives in the sense of the kind of people we should be. And may that influence then the decisions we make as your people. May it free us to make decisions that honor you, that glorify you, that allow us to walk with you and encourage others to do the same. May it create a deep sense of peace in the people's hearts who are just wrestling and discontent right now, trying to find something more to satisfy them. May they come back to the simplicity of Jesus, his transformation, and your will for us. Guide us as a church. Guide us as individuals. Lead us down the paths of righteousness and truth and goodness. Inspire revival in our hearts. Bring that God. And may you move and work through this church. We really want to submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.